Today, the health of liberty and human rights around the world is currently at risk. Freedom is not set in stone. Do all human beings have equal and inalienable rights to freedom? Hello, everyone. My name is Peter Falkenberg Brown. Welcome to the Love, Freedom, and the World video and podcast channel, where we explore ways that love, beauty, joy, and freedom can inspire and inform the human soul, transform society, and possibly transform the world. At the end of this presentation, information will be shared about how you can support this channel at patreon.com slash peterfalkenbergbrown. My topic today is the incarnational rights of men and women, the illumination and flowering of Homo incarnatus. The 21st century has brought humankind to a crossroads. Will all human beings enjoy complete civil and religious freedom based on their inalienable rights, or will global tyranny erode and crush those rights? Strains of tyranny come in many forms, but Top contenders for this century include the potential global hegemonies of communist China, an Islamic caliphate that extends into Europe and Britain, and Western nations that fall to a rising encroachment of socialism and Marxism. In spite of the hostility and ignorance of totalitarians, I believe that the scales are weighted in favor of freedom and human rights. Illumination and a desire for freedom are percolating across the world and have been increasing in speed and scope. One watershed event happened in 1948 when the United Nations General Assembly presented the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as the common standard of human rights for all people. The document's preamble begins with this statement, whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Article 18 of the Declaration states, Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief, and freedom either alone or in community with others, and in public or private, to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. I believe that the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family are incarnational in nature. The Random House Dictionary defines incarnation as a living being embodying a deity or spirit and a person or thing regarded as embodying or exhibiting some quality idea, or the like. The current scientific classification of humans is Homo sapiens, wise man, or even more exactly Homo sapiens sapiens, or anatomically modern humans. I propose that a more accurate classification of humans is Homo incarnatus, Latin for incarnational man. At first glance, this new classification depends upon a belief in God or a divine intelligence which would remove it from viability in the realm of science. It would encounter difficulty with atheists and could even be controversial with religious individuals who might pull out their doctrinal books and say, um, I don't see that phrase in my sacred text. 
Surprisingly, the scientific method, with its rigorous methods of testing, has already brought anatomically modern humans to the vast frontiers of quantum physics, which in turn is now positing that there is indeed something behind it all. Dr. Stuart Hameroff of the Center for Consciousness Studies of the University of Arizona stated in an interview with Deepak Chopra, I think some connection to a kind of cosmic mind in Planck's scale geometry is possible. I tend to focus on the biological end of it, on how consciousness occurs in the brain. You don't need a scientific explanation to believe in a cosmic mind and be part of it. But that's my thing. I like to investigate science. I do think that our theory, for example, could explain consciousness as ripples in this fundamental level of the universe, which could be the Akashic field, Bohm's implicate order, Planck scale geometry, and many descriptions. I think they're pretty much all the same thing. In 1973, the astrophysicist Carl Sagan wrote, We are made of star stuff. In 1918, Albert Durant Watson, the retiring president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, stated, Thus we come to see that if our bodies are made of star stuff, and there is nothing else, says the spectroscope, to make them of, the loftier qualities of our being are just as necessarily constituents of that universal substance, out of which are made whatever gods there be. We are made of universal and divine ingredients, and the study of the stars will not let us escape a wholesome and final knowledge of the fact. If all life springs from that quantum cosmic mind, and if all life is energetically and non-locally connected, and is made from the same bits of energy and matter as quantum physics and astrophysics seem to imply, then one could easily state that humans are so deeply intertwined with their common traits that they all deserve to be treated equally. Those common traits include the desire for joy and happiness and peace. Love is central to the human psyche, no matter what religion or culture a child is raised in. Yet it is true, humans are also complicated and can be abominably nasty. Yet, when human beings are stripped of all the facades that often cover them like layers of sludge, what is the most important thing to everyone? The evidence points to the fact that we all really like to be treated well, with kindness, respect, service, and love. Human beings around the world tout the golden rule as the basic measurement of ethical behavior, the ethic of reciprocity. Perhaps the most famous rendition of the Golden Rule came from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7.12, the RSV edition, when he said, So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Father Harry J. Gensler, S.J., a Jesuit professor of philosophy at Loyola University in Chicago, wrote the book Ethics and the Golden Rule, published by Routledge 2013. He has an excerpt of the book on his website, harryhiker.com, which lists over 250 quotes and variants of the Golden Rule from ancient times until the present. 
It's a fascinating read and includes a pithy comment from Abraham Lincoln in 1865. I have always thought that all men should be free, but if any should be slaves, it should be first those who desire it for themselves and secondly, those who desire it for others. When I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. This is, of course, the very heart of the golden rule, to treat others as we would wish to be treated. It is also, I contend, the central motivation to provide freedom and human rights for all men and women. When I hear an orthodox Islamic man arguing that women should not vote or drive or dress the way they wish to, then I also have a strong impulse to try it on that man personally. It's not too much of a stretch to conclude that the said gentleman would not like it at all. I say cut through the voluminous reasons why civil liberties should be infringed and make it personal. The silver rule offers a slightly different perspective. Hillel, a great rabbi from the first century before Christ, stated, What is hateful unto you, do not do unto your neighbor. Confucius used similar words in the Analects, 1523. Do not do to another what you would not wish to have done to you. Although the silver rule could be regarded as clearer and more useful when it comes to prohibiting hateful actions, its downside is that it doesn't actually mandate that one needs to act positively toward anyone. Thus, the golden rule is more proactive. When they are combined, the golden and silver rules are even more powerful. The common theme of the golden rule always comes back to love. St. Paul's letter to the Galatians says it well in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Revised Standard Version. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The virtues of the fruits of the Spirit are universal and reveal that all humans, however influenced by uncharitable desires for power over others, resonate at a very deep level with goodness. The illumination and flowering of Homo Incarnatus has been dramatically persistent. Lord Acton's phrase that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely has been demonstrated repeatedly, and yet humans have still managed to consistently renew their commitment to the virtues of love and beauty. Four centuries before the birth of Christ, the Chinese philosopher Mo Tzu wrote, Universal love is to regard another's state as one's own. A person of universal love will take care of his friend as he does of himself, and take care of his friend's parents as his own. So when he finds his friend hungry, he will feed him, and when he finds him cold, he will clothe him. Many of Motsu's teachings were destroyed after his death when Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of Qin, who favored legalism, embarked on a campaign of book burning and the burying alive of scholars. Yet the golden rule survived and continued to illuminate humankind. 
It is a miracle that the totalitarian Soviet Union and its satellites in Central Europe crumbled in the face of the unquenchable human thirst for freedom. Yet the tragic murders of many millions of citizens by those governments was too high a price for the social and political experiments started by Karl Marx. Unfortunately, that lesson has been forgotten, with new generations of Western students almost completely ignorant of an oppression that happened just a few minutes ago in the grand reach of time and history. Even more disturbing is that many Westerners are ignoring the deadly descent in totalitarianism that is once again happening in China, a country of a billion people that has malevolent intentions toward the United States and the world. Religious peoples have also sometimes transgressed against the incarnational rights of men and women, despite religion's purported goal of bringing humans closer to the divine. Still, humans were awakened one by one and resisted totalitarianism, religious or otherwise, often at the cost of their own blood. Although Christianity was birthed in persecution, some individuals and groups within Christianity became persecutors of others. However, Reformation and free thinking finally did arrive, and the theologies and practices produced by some narrow-minded Christians gave way to the original teachings of Jesus and the unstoppable power of compassion. Islam has a 1,400-year history of violent jihad toward non-believers, which continues to this day. Orthodox Islam and Sharia law do not support the incarnational rights of men and women. Islamic human rights are seen through the filter of Islam and do not allow men and women the freedom to follow their own conscience and systems of beliefs. In Sharia cultures, women are oppressed, freedom of speech is curtailed, and followers of Islam are not allowed to change their religion upon pain of death. Fortunately, the human spirit is unquenchable, and today more and more Muslims are leaving Islam and seeking a non-totalitarian path. Democratic reformers in totalitarian countries often find themselves running afoul of the pernicious tradition of les majestés, which means injured majesty, and is a legal term which generally means that a ruler of a nation cannot be insulted or spoken ill of by any citizen upon threat of punishment. Les majesté is practiced in Islamic cultures in reference to any perceived insults to its founder Muhammad, where such actions are usually punishable by death, and also in countries such as Thailand, where one can be jailed for insulting the king. Les majesté is totalitarian because Human beings must have the freedom to follow their conscience, even those who choose to renounce God, a king, or religion. Following one's conscience based on inalienable and incarnational rights is supported by the American Declaration of Independence. In a timeless sentence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yes, it is now clear and obvious that all men includes men and women of all races. We must remember that the Founding Fathers were products of their times and were also radically pushing society forward to a 
much freer place. They were the very definition of forward-thinking statesmen. The inalienable rights of humans are cemented and codified in the Bill of Rights in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the American Declaration of Independence support the view that all humans are incarnational peers with equal and inalienable rights from the humblest individual to the very top of governmental and social structures. They are peers based on the central acknowledgement that all humans are incarnational men and women, whether birthed from a creative intelligence or simply formed as reflections of the quantum universe. I prefer to believe that there is indeed an infinite intelligence that created not only physical matter, but also the invisible energies of love and compassion and the golden rule as the central motivators of human life. I thus believe that the core attribute of a world of peace is the full acknowledgement of the divine and universal nature of every human being. With this view, the status of each person as homo incarnatus is inviolable and eternal. Therefore, we must all have the legal freedom to be true to our beliefs and principles. This core individual freedom is the most basic underpinning of an incarnational society and informs freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and all other human freedoms. Since humans possess these inalienable rights as endowed by their creator, these same rights can never be revoked by anyone other than God. This, of course, means that they cannot be revoked by humans who purport to be speaking for God since that position is not defensible or provable. The identity of humans as incarnational peers demands that all governments must honor the sacred rights of the individual. The most effective example to date has been that of a republic modeled by the United States in which all individuals are citizens with the right to vote, hold office, and pursue their versions of happiness no matter what they believe. It was to guard against totalitarianism and the fallible nature of power-hungry individuals that the U.S. Founding Fathers created a system of checks and balances, as well as the brilliant electoral college system of voting, which guaranteed that small states would not be dominated by the popular votes of larger states. In their minds, the rights of the individual were paramount and had to be protected from the ever-present danger of government control. I sincerely recommend that if you have not yet read the U.S. Constitution, please do so. It is a short, simple, and astoundingly powerful document that has created the freest system of government to date. It is especially vital now because socialism and Marxism are on the rise in the West, fueled by radical professors and an unfortunate ignorance of the 20th century tragedies of those totalitarian ideologies. If humans can agree that the golden rule 
is the ethical principle driving the establishment of a loving world, one can assert that a culture and society that reflect the virtues of the fruits of the Spirit are our common end goal. One might call the government of this type of society an unselfish republic of incarnational peers. Since the means to the end are the same as the end, a culture of unselfish love and sacred individual freedom is necessary to create free nations of unselfish love. However, one cannot force love, and thus nations must not try to force their citizens to adhere to a state religion in the name of morality. The ends do not justify the means. As the hearts of individuals change and grow closer to the universal ethic of the golden rule, as they have striven to do throughout recorded history, I believe that an atmosphere of love will naturally increase. The flowering of homo incarnatus will transform society. During and after that process, it is vital that laws that provide true freedom are held firm so that the opportunity for tyrants to rule is eliminated. With freedom, a world of love and equality will indeed be created. Thank you for listening. Visit peterfalkenbergbrown.com for more information. If you think this presentation will inform or inspire others, please share the URL with as many people as possible. Your sharing of this URL is a quick and easy way to help the world. Please help this channel grow by going to patreon.com slash peterfalkenbergbrown and contributing as little as $3 per month. I am very grateful for all your support. So, until next time, love and blessings, and thank you. The Love, Freedom, and the World channel is a production of World Community Films. This content is copyrighted 2019 by Peter Falkenberg Brown.